Man. I don't think it's any secret that I love a crowd. I, I get a charge around being people. I love, that's why I study at Starbucks, because I can look up and I can see other people. I love the mall at Christmas. I love the beach at spring break. But my love of crowds extends to the scripture. Very often, I will, I will read a passage in the Bible, and I will get caught up with, with, with what's going on at, with the crowd. For example, Jesus might be healing a blind man. But I, I really sometimes will focus on, well, what was the reaction of the people around him? How did the Pharisees see that? How did the blind man react? Well, I'm going to be in Mark chapter 5. The verses are not going to be uh, up on the screen. So if you want to kind of get there on your phone or grab a Bible, you're welcome to do that. But as I read through this passage, I'd like to focus a little bit on what's going on in the crowd. It's Christ on the cross. What's going on around him? What are people thinking? Who is Christ to them? And I wonder if you might find yourself identifying with, with, with a portion or a section of, of that crowd that you never thought about. Mark chapter 15, let me read the passage, starting in verse 22. And they brought Jesus to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. They offered him wine drugged with myrrh, but he refused it, verse 24. Then the soldiers nailed him to the cross. They divided his clothes and threw dice to decide who would get each piece. It was nine o'clock in the morning when they crucified him. A sign announced the charge against him. It read, the king of the Jews. Two revolutionaries were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. The people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Ha, look at you now, they yelled. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well, then save yourself and come down from the cross. The leading priests and teachers of religious law also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, the King of Israel, come down from the cross so we can see it and believe him. Even the men who were crucified with Jesus ridiculed him. This, this, this passage is simple and straightforward. It's Jesus' last moments on earth as a human being. And I read, as I read it, the only thing that kept coming to me was that everybody was missing it. Somehow the crowd didn't get it. Life was going on as usual while Jesus was being crucified. People were still going to work. Priests were still going to church. Teachers were still teaching in school. It seems to me that all of time should have stood still while Christ was dying on that cross. I feel like chariots should have pulled over and dimmed their lights. Flags should have been flown at half-mast on the poles. People should have been wearing those, those yellow ribbons around their arms to commemorate his death. Athletes should have been wearing black armbands, but, but nobody seemed to be getting it. The crowd at the crucifixion seemed so clueless, so unaware. Now let's take a few minutes to, minutes to look at just some of the people that were here. Perhaps you can identify with some of them. First, there were the disciples. Hey, if anybody should have got who Christ really was, it was the disciples. But where were they? Most of them were off somewhere scared to death hiding. They had spent more time with Jesus than anybody in history. They traveled with him, ate with him, laughed with him, cried with him. Over and over again, Jesus had told them that he had to be crucified, that he had to die. But still, they somehow seemed surprised when he did. Matthew chapter 26, once while Jesus was, was around with the disciples, he told this parable. And when Jesus had finished, it says in verse 26, when Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, 
As you know, Passover begins in two days, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Not only did he tell them that he was going to die, he told them that he was going to be raised from the dead. Matthew 16, verse 21. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly. Somebody recently said to me, well, maybe, maybe he wasn't clear. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem, that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, the teachers of the religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. He told them that he would rise from the dead. In fact, the term raised from the dead is used 46 times in the New Testament. I feel like the disciples should have been hanging out waiting for the return. I feel like they should have been huddled going, man, this is going to be awesome. I can't wait to see the Romans' faces when he raises from the dead. But somehow they didn't believe in him or believe him or understand who he was. They had absolutely no faith in his words, no faith that he was coming back. Real life got hard, and when real life gets hard, even people who really love God, who really love Jesus can begin to doubt that God can really help. That God can really make a difference. It should have been a time of review for the disciples as they waited for him to come back. I I think if I were one of the disciples, I would have said, Peter, remember the time you walked on water and and you took your eyes off Jesus and you began to sink? Man, that was funny. And if I was Peter, I would have said, yeah, but at least I walked on water. Maybe I would have talked about the coolest miracle of all when they were on the boat and, and they have to wake up Jesus just before the thing sinks. And Jesus said, what are you worried about? And, and, and then he, Jesus stands up and he tells the, the, the whole sea, the whole world to be still. And you know, there's a sense in the Greek that, that all of nature shut up when Jesus said, be still. And then the disciples got caught up and they said, who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? Why didn't they get it? Does that kind of describe you or me from time to time, no matter how many promises God has kept in the past, no matter how many times he's delivered us from terrible circumstances, we still find ourselves lost in fear and worry? What about the general crowd? They knew of Jesus. They had rubbed elbows with him, many of them, but they didn't know Jesus. These were the people who Jesus had helped but it never followed. they had never followed. In Matthew chapter 14, verse 13, it says, as soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat to be a remote place to be all alone. But the crowds heard where he was headed and followed him on foot from many towns. So typical of Jesus, it says, Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. He was always doing that. Luke chapter five, verse 12, in one of the villages, Jesus met a man with an advanced case of leprosy. When the man saw Jesus, he bowed with his face to the ground and begged to be healed. Lord, he said, if you're willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Jesus reached out and touched him and said, I am willing, be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared. The crowd knew Jesus, or at least they knew of Jesus. But here's the deal. Jesus could never do enough for them. Is that sometimes you or I? I mean, sometimes it looked like the crowd was getting it. Remember Palm Sunday, just not even a week beforehand? John chapter 12, verse 12, it says the next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches, went down to the road to meet him, and they shouted, praise God. 
Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the king of Israel. Hail to the king of Israel. Praise God. This was a few days before the crucifixion. It's a beautiful scene. People were praising God and saying wonderful things. And it seemed like they were getting it. It, getting it. it sounded like they were getting it. Ah, but we got our hopes up too soon. It would literally only be a few days before Pilate would present the same man that they had yelled, Hail, King of Israel. John 15, verse 19, away with him. They yelled, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate, confused, said, what? Crucify your king? We have no king but Caesar, Caesar, the leading priest, shouted back. Then Pilate turned Jesus over to be crucified. What happened? How do we find the crowd transitioning from this triumphant entry into this nightmarish exit? They knew Jesus. They rubbed elbows with Jesus. He had done for them things for them. He had healed their dads and moms, brothers and sisters. He had brought families back together, but it was never enough. I believe this is a majority of the world. They know of Jesus, but they don't know Jesus. They stand on the edge of trust, but never dive in to all that Jesus has for them. Perhaps you can identify with that section of the crowd. You've heard all that Jesus has done. Maybe you've even prayed, but you've never let him be the Lord of your life. In short, he's not your savior. And then, of course, there were the angry people at the crucifixion. There are always angry people, aren't there? Always angry people. The people who, who, who were just mad at Jesus for being Jesus. They refused to get to know him, to pray, or to seek him. But somehow, they still managed to blame most of the world's problems on him. They do things like kick him out of the schools and workplaces and then wonder why and what happened and where was he when things go terribly wrong. They blame their, their failures and hatred on a God who only offers love and forgiveness and guidance. You get Matthew chapter 12, verse 22. Then they brought him, meaning Jesus, a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. The guy couldn't talk. He, he couldn't see, but Jesus healed him. The Bible says all the people were astonished and said, could this be the son of David? Is it possible this is the Messiah? But the Pharisees heard this, and they said, it's only by Beelzebub, the prince of the demons, that this fellow drives out demons. They accuse Jesus of being demon-possessed. Well, Jesus got hot. I mean, he gets mad. He gets really politically incorrect. And he says this in Matthew 12, verse 30. He who is not with me is against me. He who does not gather with me scatters. And so I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. He literally told them, you, you can't be saved. You've taken the miracles of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, and assigned them to Satan. That's not even forgivable. Total rejection of Christ and the Holy Spirit. I mean, at this point, you've got it. Wasn't there anybody there at the end? Christ is hanging on a cross in the throes of death. He's dying for the sins of all of us. And, and, and everyone is just turned their back on him. It seems like the entire world was absolutely clueless. But you know what? Not everyone. There was this one little guy. This one little society reject. 
Nobody saw what was really going on except this guy. This guy who had the good fortune to be sentenced to die at the same time and at the same place as Jesus Christ. He got it. I don't know how, I don't know why, but he got it and it immediately changed his future forever. Luke chapter 23, verse 39. One of the criminals hanging beside him, meaning Jesus, scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested. Don't you fear God even when you've been sentenced to death? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, hanging on a cross, turns to Christ, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. The worst day of this guy's life just became the best day of his life. The worst day in all of history became the best day in all of history for us. This guy went to bed the night before knowing he was going to face the worst, most unimaginable death and that he deserved it. But with a, simple, with a few simple words, Jesus transformed his nightmarish exit into a heavenly exit. Can you imagine you're on that cross and Jesus turns to you and goes, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. What else mattered? Buddy, today in an hour or two, you and I are going to be strolling down the streets of glory. How amazing is that? The guy didn't have time to repent. The guy didn't have time, I mean, to get baptized. He didn't have time to go pay people back. Jesus just turns to him and says, you have confessed me as your Lord and Savior. And your worst day just became your best day. Do, do we get it? Are you the thief on the cross? The truth be known, inside you feel like a society reject. You know you've done a lot of terrible things, but it's humbly as possible, you just want to look at Jesus and say, hey, I know I don't deserve it, but could you possibly remember my name when you come before your father? It's the greatest truth of the Bible is Romans 10, 13, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. The Bible tells us that anyone who calls on Jesus will be saved. Thank you, Jesus, for that. One guy got it. Just one guy, just one guy said, wait, wait, you're God. Oh, Jesus, when you come before your father, remember me. I'm going to pray and we're going to take communion. And, and there are eight stations around the room, middle aisle and across here. When we take communion, it's to remember Jesus. I, I pray that you will just, I pray that today, if you don't know him as your Lord and Savior, that you will simply say, Jesus, the best I know how I, I believe you died on the cross to pay for my sins. God, please, will you, will you remember me before your father? If perhaps you've known Jesus forever, I pray that perhaps you'll just say, God, ah, so many times I doubt you, but you're so faithful. You love me enough to die for me. Father, for the rest of my life, I will love you enough to sincerely live for you. I'm going to pray. 
And then as Reverend, kind of a little bit of a quiet spirit, if you could find one of these tables when you're ready, take communion when you're ready. And, and when you're done, you're dismissed, you're free to go. Father, we love you. We thank you for the gift of your son. What a precious, amazing gift. Jesus, would you remember us in front of your father? She went to that cross for me. The, the greatest day of my life was the day I came to realize that you were my Lord and Savior. God, you can transfer, transform any, any, any life into a thing of beauty. We remember you and we praise you for that. We love you and we worship and we praise you in Christ's precious name. Amen.